0: So last week, I I told you a story about uh, the agnostic who loves Jesus. Uh, my friend John that I met with the 53 Chevy, you remember this? And I talked with him for a while, and I, I admired his hair, and we got to talking, and he saw that I was a church guy, and so he said, remember I said, he said, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if everybody in the world acted like Jesus? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? And I would say, you know, it's probably even Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if everybody who says they were a follower of Jesus acted like Jesus? And if you remember me telling that story last week, there's a little bit of a sting in that, isn't there? And here's why. Because I think we've all found it's really hard to act like Jesus. And you know why that is? It's because in our natural state, we're dead. Matter of fact, this is what it's like in our natural state. I want to show you ten things that are true about you. First... We're dead in trespasses and sins. In our natural state, before we come to know the Lord, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, He made you alive who were dead. You were spiritually dead. Look at the second thing. Well, not only are we dead in trespasses and sins, but our nature, by nature, we're under the wrath of God. By our nature. In other words, we don't become sinners when we sin. We do what our nature is. Before we know the Lord, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 says that, we're by nature the children of wrath. That's why it's hard to walk with Him. That's why it's hard to be like Him, because it's against our nature. We love darkness and we hate light. We, we, we don't like the truth. We don't want to hear the truth. John three nineteen. light's coming to the world. Men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil, and everyone practicing evil hates the light, doesn't come to the light, because if he comes to light, his deeds will be clearly seen. This is what's true about us. Look at the fourth thing. Our hearts are hard. In our, in our natural state, our hearts are not tender to God. In our natural state, our hearts are hardened against God and against conviction. E- Ezekiel 36 will go to this passage again. Because this message is going to take us to a command of Christ called, Be Born Again. And that's going to be from John chapter 3 and the story of Nicodemus. And Jesus expected Nicodemus to understand Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, where it says, where he gave a promise that I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. I'll take your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. It's a tender heart. In the, in the, in the ESV, Ephesians 4, 18, says because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their hearts. In your natural state, your heart is hard against God. Number five. We're unable to submit to God. We're unable to please God. Romans 8 says this in other places. Romans 8, 7 and 8. The carnal mind is enmity against God. That means fights against God. It's not subject to the law of God. It can't be. Then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We don't have what it takes to submit to God. We don't have what it takes to please God. In our natural state, we're in a real, we're in a royal mess. And here's number six. We're unable to accept the gospel. So the simple truth of the good news comes to people. They can't accept it because you have to be spiritually activated to do that. Again, their understanding is dark and our understanding was dark. We're alienated or separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in us, because of our hearts are blind. And number seven is we, we are unable to come to Christ or embrace him as Lord. John 6.44 says, Nobody can come unless the Father who sent me draws him. And 1 Corinthians 12 says, and verse 3 says, no one can say Jesus Lord in a saving sense, right? Unless the Holy Spirit activates that in him. We're unable to come. In our natural state, we can't even come to Christ. Number 8 and number 9, are saying we're slaves to sin and we're slaves to Satan. Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's a reference to the devil. The spirit, the devil, works in the sons of disobedience, which is everybody who's not born again yet, who isn't saved yet, who aren't followers of Jesus, who haven't had the miraculous new birth happen to them. And there in 2 Timothy, it talks about being gentle with people so that we can recover them from what? From the snare of the devil, where they've been taken captive by him to do his will. So you didn't know that was true about you in your natural state. You just thought you were a pretty good Joe, you know, a patriot, you know, a tigers fan, pretty decent person, trying to do your best. Not so. According to the Bible, according to the Bible, we're in pretty deep weeds here, right? Number 10, nothing good dwells in us. You go, I knew that was true about my husband, but I didn't know that was true about me, too. Nothing good dwells in you. According to Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul said, no good thing dwells in us. So, like, what hope do we have, then, of walking, like our choir is saying today, of, you know, walking with the Lord and being like the Lord and being merciful and kind? You know, my friend John there, the agnostic that loves Jesus... He had in mind the Jesus, kind of the, you know, I'm not being mean, but kind of the hippie Jesus that everybody kind of likes. You know, he's merciful, he's kind, he loves little children, he wouldn't hurt a flea. He just, you know, and who, you know, why is it so hard to be forgiving and loving and selfless and helpful to the poor? It's because it's against our very nature. And that brings us to one of the commands of Christ. The Walk With Me series is about living the commands of Christ out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first command that we talked about was repent. It was kind of like, it was to turn away in our mind and our will and emotions from from doing things our own. And the second one is really going to be believe. And what happens when we believe is we're born again. So it's kind of together. It's like repent and believe and be born again. So this is the command we're going to talk about today. Take your Bibles and turn to the text for today. It's John chapter 3 and the story of Nicodemus. I know that you've heard it before. But I'd like you to see it in the light of the fact that God is promising to people, He's He's warning people that no matter how good they are, no matter how sincere they are, no matter how religious they are, no matter how well intentioned they are, they don't have it in them to live like God. They have to be born again. He's warning us. And then he's also, you know, in this story, he's promising he's promising us that we can't that there is a way. That we can live like Jesus, and we can walk with Jesus, and we can be like Jesus in a spiritual, powerful way. So there's a warning in this story, but there's also a very engaging promise, right? You can walk with Jesus. You can be like Jesus. You can sin less and be like Jesus more. You, You can help people like John see that Jesus is alive and well and that he is living in people walking on planet Earth. This John, Nicodemus, uh, John tells a story of this man, Nicodemus, who is interesting. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. This is the religious party that's called the separatists. That's what the word Pharisee means. And these are the people that most likely were to plot against Jesus. ...and hate him. Like Paul, the apostle... ...he eventually became an apostle... ...but originally he was a Pharisee... ...and he persecuted followers of Jesus. The Pharisees... ...didn't like Jesus... ...mostly because he was cutting in on their religious game... ...and they were jealous of him... ...so they wanted to discredit him. And Nicodemus was a wealthy... ...connected, powerful... ...bright leader, teacher... ...of the Pharisees. He comes to Jesus by night... ...in this night scene. In John chapter 2... In John 1 and 2, uh, you know, John the Apostle is writing a kind of biography of Jesus where he's pointing out he's trying to get people who believe in who Jesus is, and he does this by showing the miraculous signs that Jesus did, culminating in the resurrection of Lazarus and Jesus' own resurrection. And this is the way he's arranging the book... ...leading up to the death and the resurrection of Jesus... ...and then ending in chapter 20 with, like, so believe... ...you've got Thomas, remember the doubting Thomas... ...you know, believing, and John writes at the end... ...I wrote these things so that you would believe... ...and that believing you would have life in his name. That's what the whole book is about. So in chapters 1 and 2 and 3... ...he's starting to show the miracles of Jesus... ...and some of the teaching of Jesus... ...and the people are really impressed with these miracles... ...with these signs... And it says they believed, kind of like small b. they kind of like, there's got to be something to this. The people believed. This is in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the things that he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man, and there was a man of the Pharisees, whose name was Nicodemus. You get it? So if you, if you read through, and they say in the original language it's even clearer, if you just kind of read through the, you know, the kind of arbitrary, almost arbitrary uh, chapter divisions there, you recognize that what John is saying is that man, in his natural state, might be impressed with the impressive and miraculous things that Jesus did, and he may have a level of belief like, wow, what's this? This is something that must come from God, but it falls short of that, like, saving faith belief where you totally commit yourself to Christ. That's the point he's making. And he uses an example here. He uses the example of a very religious guy who comes with three questions. Nicodemus the Night Visitor has three questions. And you'll see these questions as we kind of, like, work our way, you know, kind of through the text. Now, good Bible expositors could easily spend, like, could preach hour-long messages teaching through this passage, and could go six or eight or ten messages in this passage, and we're not going to do that this time. We might go back, we might cover it another time, maybe preach through the book of John, but I want you to see the heart of it. The big idea is going to kind of burst forth, and I'll tell you this, when you see it, it's going to help you walk with God. When you see it, it's going to help you be a witness. When you see it, it's going to stimulate worship in your heart, so I want you to see this today, In John chapter 3, in the story of Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus by night. And basically, Nicodemus says three things to Jesus. First, he says, am I okay? Am I good? This is really what Nicodemus is saying. He's going, like, I, Nicodemus is going to say, I know you're a teacher. Come from God. Nobody can do what you do unless you come from God. I'm good, right? That's kind of the idea implied. I'm good. And then Jesus says to Nicodemus, it's almost like he doesn't even hear him talking. He does, but it's almost like he doesn't even hear him talking. And he just, it's almost like he totally changes the subject. And he just looks this religious leader in the eye and goes, you know what? You need to be born again. You're not going to go to heaven unless you're born again. You'll never see heaven unless you're born again. That's kind of what he says. You'll never see the kingdom of God. You, you have to be born again. So at that point, Nicodemus is, you know, like, so, you know, to get Jesus to explain it more, he goes, I go back back inside my mom and come out again? You know, kind of just like... I'm sure he didn't really think that he had to naturally be born again, but he was like... Basically, he was saying to Jesus, what does born again mean? Help me with this. What do you mean, born again? Jesus then describes being born of the Spirit. Born from above is the idea. Having the life of God inside of a person, starting completely over, not kind of doctoring up the Pharisee that he is, but giving that completely up and, co- and totally becoming a new person. And then so John's next question is like, well, then how does that work? Now, let me show you this. Um, John chapter one, uh, 3, verses 1 through 3, is that first question. A- am I good? A- am I okay? There was a man of the Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus. By the way, that's interesting. It's a Greek name that kind of means conqueror, like that Nike word we were talking about before. So he had some kind of Greek influence in his life. He was a ruler of the Jews, He came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. My temptation would have been to say, you're almost there, man. Take another step. You believe that I'm from God. Now you need to trust me for your own salvation. That might have been the way I said it. Jesus answered and said to him in verse 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, Nicodemus... I'm not going to give you a little moral reformation program here. I'm not going to course correct. I'm not going to just give you a minor adjustment in your wonderful religion. Dude, you got to start completely over here. You are completely on the wrong path, and you have to complete you're an apostate Jew that has totally missed the whole idea of who I am. And you've got to completely start over and be born again. You gotta start completely over. That's the way it works, people. You know, following Jesus isn't like a moral reformation program, right? Following Jesus, because you're dead, and you're blind, and you're ignorant, and you're a child of wrath, and you don't love God, and you don't love light. You're in serious trouble, right? And unless something miraculous happens to you, then moral reformation is not going to help you. It's just going to make you more desperate. You've got to be born again. You've got to have the miracle of the new birth happen to you. And you have to be born again. That's what he says. So then naturally, Nicodemus says in verse 4, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So there's a lot there, but don't miss the essence of it. Jesus is just saying to Nicodemus, this is not a physical thing, this is a spiritual thing. This is not something you can see, you can see the effects of it, but it's something unseen, but very, very real. So a university president is going to drop a donation in the bucket at the with the the, the Salvation Army. True story, Christmas time. So he walks up and he drops a donation in the bucket, and the little Salvation Army woman, standing behind the bucket, dressed up in her Salvation Army outfit, says to him, Excuse me, sir, but are you born again? And he clears his throat, and he says, Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. you probably don't know who I am. I'm the, president. I'm, the, I'm the president of the entire university, and the university includes a college of religion, which makes me the head of a college of religion. And then she says, It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, you still need to be born again. That's what Jesus had say to Nicodemus. Okay, you're religious, and that's probably going to get in your way here, but you still can be born again. It's okay. You see, the reason that John used Nicodemus as an example instead of some poor, slobbering drunk as an example is because Nicodemus was farther from God because he had two major obstacles between him and God. He had his self-indulgent sin, which everybody has, even if they're self-righteous. And then he had his self-righteous system on top of that. So he was especially estranged from God. And if God, God is saying, your religion is not going to get you anywhere with me. You've got to put it aside and repent of that and be totally born again. And have a completely new life. From the, from a, the born again means from above. Born from above, or are, are, are born spiritually. And then the question is, well, then how do I do that, right? That's what, so Nicodemus is essentially saying, so how do I do that in verse 9? Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Tell me how this born-again thing works, right? And what you're going to notice is that in the first few verses, over and over, Jesus is born again, born again, you must be born again. Without being born again, you're never going to see the kingdom of heaven. The emphasis in those first nine, eight verses is be born again. The emphasis about how to be born again is really clear in the remaining verses here. In verses 9 through 21, over and over again, here's what you're going to see. Jesus uses the word, John reports Jesus using a word which John uses as the theme of his entire gospel, and that is the drive of the entire gospel is this special level of belief. So when John is talking about this particular kind of belief, he's talking about trusting belief. Not just, like, like, the demons believe and tremble, but they're not going to heaven when they die. They're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. Lots of people believe that, you know, like, like there are almost all the major religions of the world believe there was a historic Jesus. Like, my friend John, who says, I, I'm an agnostic, you know, I'm not sure what's up, but I, but I believe there was a Jesus. And that he was very, very special. But that's not saving faith, right? So this kind of belief is saving faith, like, it's the, it's the belief that makes me put my confidence, trust, and total, put my whole weight on what Jesus did. That's the belief that John's talking about. And he talks about it all throughout his gospel. And he's kind of introducing it here. He didn't really introduce it here, but he's, but he's especially strengthening the theme. So you're going to notice what it says in verse 15. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. In verse 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. Verse 18, He who believes in Him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. You're under condemnation if you don't believe in that special way of saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's when you're born again when you believe in that way. And that's why verse 36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see light, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, so John, you know, here is teaching that Jesus is telling Nicodemus, your level of belief that you believe I come from God and what I do is supernatural is not enough to get you to heaven until you believe like you put your full trust and faith, and you turn away from your religion and from your sin, and you put your full faith, trust, and confidence in me, then you're not born again. You're, in the theological term, we often use this regeneration. It's like given the life of God. Regen, a person's regenerate is a person who has the life of God in them. Now, that, that ought to be kind of exciting when you think about the possibility that what Jesus is teaching here through John in this book is that human beings can have the very life of God in them and be the opposite of those first ten things that we are in our nature and we can be growing more and more like Jesus walk with him, be like him actually be supernaturally empowered to be like Jesus Christ in this sinful fallen world this messed up bad news world that's good news in a bad news world, right? All the news isn't bad. Here's some good news. If you're born again, you can have the the nature of Christ in you. That's the promise. So in verse 10, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you're a teacher in Israel, and you don't know these things? You should know this. In other words, this must be in the Old Testament, right? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know. Jesus says, we speak what we know. We testify what we've seen. And you do not receive our witness. So, right? So, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, You believe that I come from God and that I'm doing supernatural works, but you really haven't received my witness. And then he goes on and says, If I told you earthly things and you didn't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? I'm trying to explain spiritual realities to you, he's saying. Verse 13 No one ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. What's he saying? He's saying, I've been there, and I'm back, and I'm the Son of Man. And and an informed scholar of the Old Testament would immediately, his mind would race immediately to Daniel chapter 7 and realize that what Jesus is saying is he's using his favorite term, calling himself the Son of Man. Rather than calling himself Messiah, which would get all kinds of things going that he wasn't ready to get going yet, he would call himself the Son of Man. Like, hint, hint, look at, he's the very God of very God, the one and only true God that comes from heaven. That's what he's saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is an informed and scholarly person. He understands that. He understands but has missed that the Old Testament says that God promised in in Ezekiel 36 that you can have a new heart. If you're fast, you can turn to Ezekiel 36 and listen to the language of the promise of the prophet here in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. Try to apply this to yourself while you're listening. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and cleanse you from all your idols. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. He's saying, I can make it possible for you to be like me, supernaturally. I can help you, I can empower you to be what you, what your complete nature is against. It's a promise that he made. And Nicodemus was an Old Testament scholar. He should have known. He should have been teaching this. I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments. I will cause you to walk with me. I will, uh, you like that? There's a powerful promise implied. I will cause you. I will empower you. I will inspire and empower you to walk with me. This is the promise of the Old Testament that when Jesus came and died and was buried and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit and he indwells a believer and he's born again or regenerate that that God will cause us progressively to to be like Jesus, to walk with him. So the unbelieving world can see Jesus in us. We could go on and on. Read that on your own. I'm going to move on. So you have these questions. The question is, is it enough that I believe that you're supernatural? The answer is no, you've got to be born again. What's born again? Is that some physical thing? No, it's a spiritual thing. It's from above. How do you do it? By putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, saving faith. And then you pass from death to life, and you're no longer under the wrath of God, but you're under the mercy of God. That's what Jesus was saying to the Nicodemus. Now, there's some things I skipped, because I want to cluster them together. You know, what, this, what does this mean? There's a, there's a few things here that you want to see. Before we, before we go to this, Okay, but let me just share this, uh, about four different pictures that he gives of being born again. Before, what, is it, what does it mean? What's it like to be born again? Okay, What is it like to be regenerate? What is it like to have a life of God in me? It's like being born spiritually. It's like, it's like you remember your birthday, and you want everybody to make a big deal? Because you came to life. On that day, you, you begin to live in the world. And that's a big deal, right? And we celebrate that day. Well, there all should be a spiritual birthday for you when you were born again. I was reading Pastor Grafe uh, commented on um, Facebook this week, and I noticed that he was born again in 1958. Pastor Grafe, if you don't know, used to pastor this church. Born again in ni- That's when I was born. I was born in 1958. Pastor Grafe was born again. He, he gave a date. I think it was September of 1958. Maybe you can't give a date But there needs to be a time that you stop relying on yourself for your own salvation and you rely completely and totally on what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he did. And the Bible says, you you may not feel it or realize it, but the Bible says that at that point the life of God is planted in you. That is awesome, right? So what is it like to be regenerate or to have a life of God? It's like being born spiritually. That's one thing. And then there's the whole thing, of the water and the spirit. There's a lot of discussion about this, a lot of study, a lot of ink spilled, a lot of pages, a lot of bright people have ideas about this. So I will tell you, what I believe the scriptures are teaching is just simply that we're born from a cleansing of the word from the old and an infusion of the spirit for the new. In the Old Testament, the passage in 36 and Ezekiel 36 and many other passages, and it's, co- it's consistent with the rest of what John talks about in the book of John, is that there is this matter of the cleansing of the word. When a person is, when you're born again, or when you're regenerate, it's because God used the Holy Spirit to do his work in you, and the cleansing of the old is a part of that. It's the cleansing of the old through the word of God is a part of that. The spirit uses the word. That's why it says, I believe, we're born of water and the spirit. And then the new is through the Holy Spirit. We've got new imparted into us. So we've got to take care of what's old, and we've got to have something we didn't have before. And I think what Jesus is saying to John is real simple and not complex, and that is, John, you've got to get beyond this thing where you're doing outward stuff, and you've got to be changed from the inside out, and John's like, or, I'm sorry, Nicodemus, John's reporting this. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you've got to be changed from the inside out, right? Jesus says to Nicodemus, you've got to be changed from the inside out. You've got to have a whole new beginning. You've got to be a completely different person. This is not a moral reformation thing. This is not a religious thing. This isn't something you can do. It's something God has got to do in you. Has that happened to you? Because if it has, well, I'll get into this in a minute, but let me let me share a couple more pictures that we, that we want. Then there was that whole thing, the spirit, you know, the, the work of the spirit. Listen to um, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound but cannot tell where it comes from. That's what it's like to be born again. That's what he's saying. How is, that? How is being born again like the wind? I think it's just as so simple. And that is we all know about the wind, but nobody ever sees it, right? You don't see it, but you know its effects are very real. And so it is with spiritual birth. It's easy to sit here and think, is this the real thing? Is this really true? Will God really come inside of me and really make me somebody I'm not, and really actually help me be live a holy, you know, exemplary life and walk with Jesus? That really, yeah. You don't see it. You can't see its work, but it is. It works just like the wind. You know, you don't see it necessarily, but you te- you you absolutely are going to feel and, and see its effects. Don't ever doubt that you can be given the life of God in you. Now look what happens then. What happens? These are just a list of things. And here's where this list came from. When I started this message, I was talking about 10 things you're not and I'm not in our nature, right? Okay, this is a list that's based on that. This is true about us when we, are, when we do have the life of God in us. These are some things that are true about this. We're alive and not dead to God. We have a new nature that's not, a, we're not children of wrath, but we're, we have a new nature that's friendly to God. We, have, we love the light and we hate the darkness. We have a tender heart toward God. Hey, do you have a tender heart toward God? You know what really um, concerns me as a pastor? How few people seem to have a tender heart toward God. Why is that? Everybody wants everybody else to have a tender heart toward God. But, but, but few of us frequently repent, frequently are tender hearted. You say, "Oh, I have, a, I have a tender heart toward God." Okay, if you have a tender heart toward God, then you're you're easily convicted of sin, and you're easily entreated by other people. And when other people, uh, re, you know, if other people uh, 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 appeal to you, then you have a, a, a willingness and an openness. You're not hard. Listen, the Bible says this. The Bible says if you if you harden your heart, you will be destroyed, and there's no remedy for that. I just want to tell you, if you're temperamentally hard hearted. Ask God to do the miracle of regeneration, new birth, the life of God in you, and so your heart is tender or you're going to be destroyed. I promise you that. And to the degree that your heart is tender, you can can trace the power of God flowing into a person's life whose heart is tender to God. I plead with you, ask God to make your heart tender. Ask God to make your heart soft. Ask God to give you a tender, humble, sweet spirit this is the work of God. When you're regenerate, you have it. If you don't have that, you are not saved. You have a heart toward, that's tender toward God. You have a desire to yield to God and please God. You love the gospel. That's why we love singing about it like over and over again. Are oh, you washed in the blood? love the way he's saying that. little hillbilly music is good for the soul, don't you think? Cherish the gospel. Embrace and adore Jesus. You're free from the domination of sin. Can I get an amen on that one? free from the domination of sin, free from bondage to Satan in order to serve God, and your heart is a treasure of things that are good. Who wouldn't want that? You don't make yourself do all that stuff. That's the result of being born again. That's what happens when you have a life of God in you. So let me just uh, conclude for the next 30 or 40 minutes by telling you three things that that are true about this. Now, first of all, this is going to help you so much in your worship. This is going to inspire you to worship. In a minute, we're going to sing, Are You Washed in the Blood? I don't know if you can sing it better than you sang it earlier, but you ought to be able to, after you hear what you heard today, to worship God. This, when you see that truth of regeneration that you believe and then you're born again, that ought to make you worship God. And it, it, that just ought to stir you up. And I'll tell you, I have fought sin all my life. In a few weeks, I'm going to be 58 years old, and I've been wrestling against sin all my life. And I will tell you that I've discovered one thing. My most powerful weapon against sin is a surprise. It is worship. Because sin is essentially idolatry. It's putting something else in the place of God, right? And so when I worship God, instead of that thing that I was going to worship, I was going to give, you know, my worship to, then that displaces the sin. Worship is a powerful way to not sin, And when you study a truth like this in John chapter 3, the truth of regeneration, the life of God in you, that ought to stir up your heart to worship God. And the second thing is it will help you witness too because that's our job if you get to the end of the book. And you're going to see that at the end of the book, uh, I'm sorry, so John's argument is believe, 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 and he keeps using different stories of people who came to believe. And he gets to the end and and he says there, you know, in John chapter 20, I wrote these things so that you will believe and so that you will have life. In John chapter 7, at one point, Jesus stands up and he says, whoever believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. What's that? That sounds good to me. Life is going to be flowing out of people who do what? Try real hard? No. Who have saving faith in Christ. Believe. Rivers of living water are going to flow out of people who believe. That's pretty cool. And so you get to the end there. And so what is our job? Our job is to believe and be born again, right? Repent, believe, be born again. And then, if that, you know, if nobody is going to ever see the kingdom of heaven who isn't born again, then you kind of know what you're supposed to be doing with your life, right? Get other people to be born again. Get your kids to be born again. Get your wife, your husband, your aunts, your uncles, everybody you know, to be born again. To ask people, like, are, you know, here's a witnessing tool. Are you born again? Just ask people, hey, are you born again? They're like, what's that? Oh, I'll explain that to you. Let's not overcomplicate this thing. Ask people, are you born again? They're like, I think so. Like, you want to know? Because I can show you how to be born again. Isn't that exciting? So first reason this truth is good is because it s- stirs up your heart to, to worship. It inspires you to worship. Second is it helps you witness. But then, of course, it empowers you to walk with the Lord. Get, just think about that just for a minute here. it exciting. Look, there's hundreds of us here today. And if all, all of us, almost all of us would say, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Jesus lover. I want Jesus to come and take me to heaven when I die. I'm born again. I have a life of God in me. Right? Almost all of us would say that. So think how powerful, not just as individuals, but teaming up together and using our resources together and getting along and being unified and saying the same thing and pulling in the same direction... How powerful would that be if a group of people of this size decided we are going to be like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and we're going to make him known and we're going to show what he's like. And guys like John out there that are saying I'm agnostic will have one, they'll have something to think about, won't they? Guys like John are right. It would be a beautiful thing if all the people who said, I'm a follower of Jesus, really were followers of Jesus, really did walk with the Lord. That would be good news in a bad news world, wouldn't it? Jeff Mannion is a pastor of Ada Bible Church. And years ago, I heard him preaching, and he was telling his story about how his family came to know the Lord. And he was telling about his grandfather, who was a hardened skeptic. He hated God, he hated the things of God, he hated church, he hated church people. He was not interested in the gospel at all. He lived in Colorado. One day a big flood came. He had a, he had a mobile home. When this big flood came, his grandfather happened to be out of town. But there were some guys in a little church who, who could see that the flood was going to come into that valley, was going to destroy that guy's stuff. And so those men from that little church all got together and they went there, and they, they jacked up that guy's trailer. They put blocks under it. They saved everything he had. They were walking with Jesus, weren't they? The beauty of Jesus was on them. They were good news and a bad news world people. And Jeff Mannion's grandfather came to faith in Christ after that. Not because of a flowery speech. Not because of a convincing argument. Because of people who were walking with... I want to walk with Jesus. I want to keep his commands... And here's the cool thing. I can. I can. Because I have a life of God in me. Because I believe in Jesus. Because I'm born again. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to know just real quick. I'm going to take long here. Anybody here this morning, and you would say, pray for me. I'm really not sure I'm born again. Would you raise your hand right now? Pray for me. I'm not sure I'm born again. Raise your hand. Leave it up a minute. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? I'm looking over the congregation one more time. Thank you. Somebody else, I'm not sure I'm born again. Okay, listen to me real carefully. Whether you raised your hand or not, we're going to sing this beautiful, lilting, happy, joyful, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb song. When that's over, instead of you leaving, I'm going to be standing here. I won't get to say goodbye to anybody today because I'm going to stand right here in front, and I want to explain to you how to be born again. In simple terms, pray with you so that you will know you are right with the Lord. Now, I'd like to look up, stand up, and let's just express our joy and our worship and sing, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb.